0: man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 236. Jason Lingren is with me and Carla. Uh, we're going to be going over the biofield. We had Eileen on. Uh, so many people went out to check out the tuning forks. We, I've actually seen an astonishing number of emails from things like uh, shoulder injuries, all kinds of things like that, that people have had problems with. And they report that the pain reduction is almost immediate. Uh, I can't tell you how many emails I've seen. So I would estimate that it's not deniable there's something to this. Myself and Jason both got the tuning forks. I know Jason was very impressed, but jump in, Jason. How are
1: you? Uh, That's a fine, hot Louisiana morning here. But yes, indeed, I love the tuning fork. I use it every day.
0: So, I mean, you, I, I think the first day you got it, you were impressed. And and I said the first day I got it, I did the crown or, you know, the hairline thing. And it was weird because the first time I touched my hairline, uh, basically up high between my eyes, but at the hairline, um, I could hear my heartbeat, but it sounded kind of noisy. It was weird. Um, and so I hit it again. And I put it up there, and it was a little bit less. The third time I did it, I couldn't hear it anymore, and I haven't heard it since. And I know you had almost immediate results that you were impressed with.
1: Yeah, I could feel it working right away. Oh, how would I explain it? The way the field interacted with me, it's like I could feel where it needed to go, and I was moving it over different parts of my body, and then I switched over to doing it on Rose. She's hit and miss with it sometimes. We're having success sometimes to help her. Uh, depending upon which part of her body we're talking about. If she's having a a really bad problem, sometimes it's too much for me to be able to get it on her and hold it in one position because she can't stay in one position. But then again, there's been times where she's been feeling upset to her stomach and the tuning fork has been able to bring her out of it.
0: Well, as I have said on so many episodes, I think the idea of cymatics and what that encompasses, which would probably encompass this to some degree, almost certainly. uh, I think it's one of the most hidden things that we used to know about and maybe one of the most important. I think there are so many things uh, that we kind of lost as we came forward in time. But anyhow, let's get Carla in here. Welcome, Carla.
2: Hi. Thanks for having me on.
0: Hey, it's a pleasure. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing uh, just fine
0: grand day. I know we're, we're hot where Jason and I are. You said it was pretty decent, but let's, let's jump right in here. Now, part of the reason we decided to cover you so quickly behind Eileen is I started to get emails about distance using the tuning forks at a distance. So I'm going to pick up on some of the bullet points that you've laid down here. Um, can you kind of describe a distance session? And also another part of this that I like You know, it reminds me, and I think, and I I accept this all day long, the idea of a chef. And some Chinese cultures and other things, they used to literally say, if the if the chef is in a bad mood, then his food suffers. And this comes back to the maybe Western idea where we would always say the most important ingredient when mom's making food is the love she puts in it. I accept it all day long. And I think there's a bit of this in your distance session idea because you mentioned focusing your intention. So can you just kind of start to outline? Oh, I'm sorry. You know what we should do first here? You've got a new website. Can you tell folks where they can find you?
2: Yes, it's ancestralriver.com. A-N-C-E-S-T-R-A-L river.com.
0: Okay, perfect. We'll do that again at the end. Jason, try not to let me forget. So we're going to cover uh, briefly, if you can just outline what distance sessions are. And I know you're going to touch on the idea of ether, which I think is a critical idea as well.
2: Yes, I do a lot of distance sessions. It works because there's ether in the air. Um, Ether has been described as the luminous body of light through which light flows. And I like that definition of it. Our intentions are particles of light, charged particles, and they flow on the light waves. And so when we hold an intention and the ether also works on the light waves because it is light and it holds a record of everybody that has ever lived or is living. And so whoever I wanted to do a session on, I, my intention would be, okay, I'm going to do a session on this person and I use their hologram. I'm usually either talking on the phone with the person or I am on a Zoom or Skype call with them at the same time. And so I have a connection. You can do it without a connection at the time because it all works on intention. And from that point on, um, pretty much it's just like a in-person session be- for me anyway, because I almost see that hologram in front of me and um, I work on it as if it was a regular person laying there.
0: So I think it's so interesting because some of what you're talking about here pretty much mirrors the ideas that we heard from Walter Russell um, about light and what it actually is, and the idea of the ether. But I've got to ask: um, I'm imagining you've done people, you, you've done work with people when they're with you. Do you notice a significant difference uh, when you're remote and when someone's actually, you know, with you?
2: No, I really don't notice much of a difference at all. Um, Because now it might be a difference if I didn't have a phone or Zoom connection at the time, um, just because I wouldn't be talking with the person as I go and explaining what I'm doing and saying what I'm finding and asking them how they feel and stuff like that. So, but otherwise, if there's the verbal, at least a verbal connection between me and the client, then I don't notice a difference between it and a um, in-person session.
0: I think most of us have had experiences that relate to what you're talking about. We just don't think about it. How often has anyone listening all of a sudden thought of a person that's close to them and then the phone rings and it's that person? Um, But more so, when we're talking about the idea uh, that there's ancestral records, uh, that begins to mirror the Akashic record idea. Wouldn't you you say, Carla? Well, I don't
2: understand the Akashic real well, but... Um, I come from, a, I grew up in a Christian background, and so I see it as the book of life, which I think is probably the same thing.
0: I agree with you. I think that culturally, we think about things that fit the culture that we're in. Um, I kind of appreciate that you said that. Do you consider yourself, I mean, back in the 70s, they used to call it ESP and psychic. Do you consider yourself a person who has more than the average person's abilities in that
2: regard? I wouldn't call it psychic abilities. These I have always been probably too sensitive emotionally for my own good. And then when I ran into problems with that in my early adult life and I had made bad decisions and stuff, then I kind of canceled all that. And I said, okay, that's not working. I'm going to, well, I said, I'm going to operate like these men in my office operate. (laughs) I'm just going to go on, you know, facts and what's really present (laughs) and instead of going on my my emotions or feelings or my gut and so that's what i did up until i came across um this modality with using tuning forks and and then i thought oh wow i can be myself again (laughs) because this this it highlights that you have to you can do an actual session just listening to the um tone of the fork and feeling that vibration. You don't have to be extra sensitive at all to do it. You can, as far as I've noticed anyway, you can go by the, say the literal aspects, but there is so much more because emotions are more than just the sound and more than just the vibrations. It's feeling as well. And the person you're working with has these feelings. and and so you learn to feel and, uh, listen with more than just your ears you listen with uh, I guess the energy of your own body
0: so I'd like to hear your point of view on the ether and by the way I noticed in your notes um, I I do not accept ether as a theory I accept ether as a fact and I think people like Mickelson and Morley uh, did experiments that could be replicated and I think that's very different from gravity um to to this day gravity is in fact a theory matter of fact it's a theory based on a theory but give sure your ideas about ether and how it interplays with what you're doing
2: well i think what people call god or source um however you see your higher power or the source of life for sure it's the source of light in the world because Um, light existed according to uh, the Genesis story anyway light existed um, before the sun was created so that means to me ether was present from the start and um, I see God as being in the ether I think um, what people would call God or source is more than the ether I think his being exists beyond the the earth system that we call home um but i think um god is part of part of the ether or is in the ether i think from uh again from uh bible i think of heaven as being the ether and at least that's how i've come to see it in this work because um there are the records of everybody that has ever lived in the ether. And so we have ancestral DNA in our bodies um, that often determine our hair color or eye color and such like that. And so it also determines emotional makeup of us. And I find the emotions of ancestors in different parts of the person's biofield because they exist in the ether.
0: So before I kick it over to Jason here, I'll just make this one comment. Uh, It's a bit ironic because science has been busy for a long time, at least since Einstein telling us the ether doesn't exist. Einstein's the man who made that dictate. Never proving, showing any experiment, just dictating. Doesn't exist. And so what I was going to point out is, you know, early on when I was uh, getting my technical degree, I thought it was very ironic that you needed an ethernet cable. They had not forgotten the word or the kind of artificial way they were going to implement it. They named it the Ethernet cable, but were you going to add something there?
2: Yes, I've seen a quote from Einstein, though. It was later, like in the earlier 1900s. I can't remember the year for sure, but he had said, uh, basically, subquoting him, it was like, for the world to work the way it does, there has to be Ether.
0: Hmm. I'd like to look up that quote. What I'm familiar with is the things that happened on the tail of what Mickelson and Morley did. Um, but Jason, you want to jump in?
1: Well, I like the idea that you had a Christian background, and I'm assuming that's still sticking with you to some degree, and you don't feel that what you're doing is wrong or something to that degree, how a lot of people might paint what you're doing. Do you have an idea how the general Christian community would view what it is you do?
2: Yes, I do. Um uh... <laughs> Um, um, yeah, I have, uh, relatives that, you know, think of want to have it stay at arm's length, don't want to do anything. <laughs> I have other, um, Christian people that, um, I work on and they're very open to it. So it just I don't know. In general, from uh, my aspect of growing up, um, I came out of the Christian churches a a number of years ago, 10 or 12 years ago, and I do retain quite a few of the beliefs, but I have found them, I don't know, more limiting, That the truth is kind of bigger than what that is, and I seek truth, which is God himself, and when I first learned about this, I was Nervous about it. I meant, well, it just kind of happened after I had started using tuning forks. Then, when I started feeling the emotions, that's when I started noticing things. And so, when I first noticed just in a session working with persons, the ancestors' feelings, uh, that was fine because that's all part of DNA, right? And so that was acceptable to me. But when I started, began feeling the actual presence, live presence of these ancestors in my sessions, and they started speaking to me and asking me for help. I knew I wasn't crazy because I didn't expect this to happen, and I would have never have made up something like that. And because of the my Christian background, yeah, I thought it was woo-woo, right? I thought it was evil. Um, I used to think that way. But in this work, then I realize it's not. It's just different than what I've ever understood before, and I see it the way I've come to experience is that my Christian perspective on how the afterlife works isn't the way it really is, Um, again, from my perspective, and I was uh, grew up believing that when someone died, you either went to heaven or you went to hell. You're... Like your your body died, and I believed that your soul just kind of not really dead, but stayed sleeping or unaware until um, the second coming of the Messiah. And at that point, your soul, your life was restored only with a heavenly body. And to some degree, um, that is true. um, From what I see now. I I still think that's one of our purposes in our lives of being human here is to choose if you want to be part of the light or part of the dark. Um, I see the light as truth and voluntarist minded in that everyone is created equal and everybody is offered all the resources of the ether, the same amount for everybody if you want it. And Whereas the dark side I see is hierarchy. Um, it, it puts everybody at different values. Uh, or all people are valued differently. And you're told different lies according to what value they place on you. And you can only get so far. You can only get so much because of what value you're considered to be. And that's hierarchy. Anyway, so I still see that as one of our purposes in life is to choose which side. The Bible says you can't choose two masters, and, and I believe that so. But what I have found in the um, working in the biofields is that what it appears is that there's a great number of people who have not made that choice when they die. And um, from near as I can determine, it might have been because of my clients emotions for them, or it might have been because of that ancestors um, emotions that were unresolved because of experiences in their lives, or um, it might've been because of fear. Um, There's a a great number of different uh, reasons, but anyway, for some extent or for some reason, they don't make a, a decision for either the light or the dark. And I know for me, um, I have worked as far back in my own family as a great, great grandparent, and they're still there in the ether. They're waiting to be able to make a decision. It's like they've been ready for a while. They just need help of some kind in addressing this issue that has hold them back. And then they're able to fully transition to whichever side it is.
0: So I think there's a lot of that going on in the world right now. So many people just opting to go along with the dark side, not not approving, but nonetheless going along with it to get along. Um, and I think we'll see a turning point on that. But let's get into the nuts and bolts. Let's get into the activated tuning fork. And part of the reason I wanted to contact you is I got a number of emails uh, from people saying in their experience, the biofield didn't stop at this many feet or you know it went way out i think some people even claimed 30 40 feet and as we open this conversation you're doing it remotely but i noticed um, you started to delineate five to six feet two to three feet um and you also start to talk about the fourth state of matter so when you're using the tuning forks is it are you sensing it do you hear it in the vibration um, just kind of walk us through um, how big is is the human biofield? Um, and I also notice here you point out that it seems to be a toroid shape. So can you just walk us through actually using the forks, how you sense or hear or whatever it is when you're using them? And what is the biofield? How far away from us does it go? Is this six-foot distancing keeping our biofields apart or something? <laughs> what can you add?
2: Well... When I, I start the a session by um, activating a person's energy flow so that all the energy within the biofield is communicating well so that I can find what I need. and I hold the intention of finding what it is the body's ready to the biofield is ready to release that at that point in time. And then I uh, activate a tuning fork, I strike it on, Either a hockey puck, depending on which fork I'm using, or I have a hiking boot that seems to give a good resonance to one of the weighted forks. So um, for weighted forks, I would use my hiking boot. And so anyway, so I start at the edge. I kind of step off an area so I know that it's like five to six feet away around the body on the sides. And then on below and above the body, it extends two to three foot to the top of the toroid shape the from near as I can tell the the vortex or the the tops of your central channel like if you do a, a line straight through from your crown to the between your feet on the floor then you have chakra centers one about a foot above your head and one about a foot below your head and energy centers of subtle energy that hold emotions and and hold your memories as well as your biofield does. And then um, so, but those are like the vortex or the top of the um, central channel of your energy. And then so, but the tops of the shoulders of the toroid, if you want to call it like shoulders, then that would extend two to three feet above your body and two to three feet below. So when you activate a fork and stand at the edge of an estimate of the five to six feet out. Then when you just strike the fork, then it's a a nice clear tone. Um, I use one, um, an unweighted fork so I can hear the tone. And then the energy, it's the energy of the the biofield. It's different. That's why it's thought to be plaza than just ether. Plasma is kind of like cells that no longer have cell membranes. It's kind of the separated nuclei and the electrons that are uh, dispersed within this. And but it's more um, concentrated. You could say, the particles are closer together than in the ether themselves. And so there's there's a very subtle difference, but you feel it. If there's dissonance in the membrane, then you hear the difference. But it's the biofield that tells us where it is.
0: So the contention here is that um, memories and emotions are actually stored in the so-called biofield as you get a few feet away from the physical body?
2: They've been found, yes, that the biofield is full of memories and emotions. emotions. Each of the energy centers or chakra centers down your central channel uh, have been found to... Um, deal more with different types of emotions. And so in the biofield horizontal to those chakras, then um, are found from from your body out to the edge of your biofield are found emotions and experiences, memories of your lives. Um, The edge of the biofield at about five to six foot out is it starts with your parents' lives, and then gestation and birth. Those are really close together. And then it goes from there to current day at your body. And so it is a timeline of your body very much. So I can, in a session, I can be working on a person and I strike the fork and and move toward the body holding the fork in the field and the tone changes. And sometimes it's the vibration. Sometimes It's most of the time, it's my whole body that feels uh, the emotion or feels a a real tenseness in it. And then sometimes I receive a mental picture of what was going on in the person's life or something that was happening, what the person looked like sometimes. Sometimes I just feel the emotion. Sometimes um, it's like a communication through the either, oh, yeah, this person fell down or this person you know almost drowned or s- something like that and anyway and then i can tell my client you know I-, I hit this piece of energy that is you know if they were 40 then halfway would be 20 and so if it was at the halfway point i can say hey it looks like you're a- about the age of 20 and i feel this emotion i'm in this chakra energy and It's about that type of emotion and it seems to be this type of experience. Do you have any recollection of that or is there something that anything you would like to say about that to help express and release the energy? And usually you're really, really close to on age and what was happening.
0: You know, there was another thing in your notes that I found interesting here is the idea that your ancestral um, ideas that you're putting down is that the feminine ancestry would be on the left side of the body and the masculine or the father's on the right side, which I think is very interesting. Uh, Most people have forgotten, but even in building uh, in the United States, maybe more so when I was younger, almost always when you're in a restaurant or somewhere, uh, the women's bathroom would be on the left side and the men's on the right. I think that started to change a little bit more, but it almost shows that, that, you know, I don't, I'm guessing that some architect or a builder somewhere isn't sitting there saying, hey, man, we need to make sure the women's bathrooms on the left in this building. And yet we would see that quite commonly. And actually, if you pay attention um, to this day, I still see it not as much as I did, I think, in the 70s where it was almost always. Matter of fact, when I was young, I always wondered why why is all the women's stuff on the left? Um, and this goes into the whole idea of Latin that I've looked at um, that there used to be an idea that the left side of the bottom uh, body was the negative pole, um, and uh, they had a special name for it. I forget what it's called, um, but uh, I think that's a very interesting idea. But doesn't this imply so I guess most of us can maybe remember back to a grandparent or a great grandparent. But does this mean the biofield would get more subtle the further away you got all the way back to. The idea of an Adam or an Eve?
2: Well, I'm still finding that out in um, how far back it would go. But um, in the immediate biofield, close to your, you know, within that five to six feet from the body, there, has, there uh, it are these areas. Um, it, it's not the whole biofield. It's these um, areas a few inches off either side of the body that contain the ancestral information of the the mothers on the left, the fathers on the right. The rest of the biofield has the emotions and the left side of the biofield is what you would call feminine energies. And then the right-hand side would be termed masculine energies, although every person either man or woman has both aspects of these energies it's just that often one shows up more in men and the other shows up more in women say like um feeling powerless would maybe show up more in women whereas men would it would show up more as anger but they're just the same side of the coin you know or or the same coin but different sides something like that but it is thought that we have repeated layers of biofields the to infinity and what i have found in the second biofield um so it would start at about six feet from your body and extend to about 30 feet away from your body as as a i found energies up to 25 feet but it might go further than that and i find that that second biofield is all about the ancestors and all the ancestors, from uh, my parents to the great great grandfather that I've cleared for, um, are all found in that second biofield.
0: So, well, I was going to add. What's interesting about that is it it kind of in, in some ways, I, I think, kind of what you're talking about almost mirrors the indigenous human beings of Australia, um, which I've tried to meet uh, a number of indigenous people from Australia because I'm interested in very old things. And they are one who claim they're among the oldest continuous uh, civilizations, uh, if that's the right word, which I know it's not. But they talk in a similar way um, about the ancestors. And what's strange about it is we deal with it in a a totally different way. Like when we lose a grandparent or somebody, um, we remember them, we put their pictures up. And a lot of the indigenous Um, things, that ancestor had a unique name that was uniquely given uh, to that human being when they were young. And when they pass away, they no longer reference that name. Uh, They certainly, I don't think, would be having images and everything. But if what you're saying is correct, it's almost like you wouldn't need to because the record of it is here.
2: I mean, what do you think? It's definitely uh, everybody that has ever lived, I would think, is in the ether. I have only found back that far to the great, great grandparents. So that would have been toward the mid 1800s, probably when he was born. I'm not sure, maybe early 1800s. And I don't know how I would assume that ongoing amounts could be of your ancestors going back in time can be found in this. I I don't know that yet, but just like, say, like DNA, um, say with the, your parents, um, my dad was Dutch. My mom was more Swedish. And so I'm half and half. And so um, if their parent was one or the other, you know, then I would be a, a fourth from the grandparent and an eighth from the great grandparents, you know, back and forth, back and back. And so that from the further of your ancestors get back in time, the less of that. Would show up in your DNA because you would have so much more DNA from other contributors, right? And so I i am curious to find out, you know, how how much of that can be found and how it affects us in our lives today. Um, their their emotions um, that were still exist in your biof- in your DNA. How that um, still affects us in my day to day life. Um, however, I had another thought too that again this was from um bible study and stuff but um the bible says it was in matthew after christ um, died or when he died on the cross then it says that um, there was an earthquake and uh, he let out cry and then there was an earthquake and um, graves were opened right and then uh, first peter um, chapters three and four there's a um, thing that says that after his death, he preached to those in prison. And so I'm wondering if what he was doing or what happened because he was who he was and that he was able to release the people who had died before then, allow them to make their decision. If this is not perhaps those in the graves, uh, the symbolism of those in the graves or those in prison that, um, open that. So, if that is true, then my work or other people's work in clearing the ancestors so that they can fully transition then would only go back to the time of Christ. You know what's interesting
0: about this is I think a lot of people up in the modern age who have been more mainstream in the things they think about uh, are going to have a tough time with any of this, but this is what it reminds me of. When I was young in the 70s, um, and still trying to find out if the Loch Ness monster existed in Bigfoot.
2: Really? Um,
0: I remember a thing called Coralian photography. And the first time I saw it, I thought, wow, that, that's amazing. You know, that's, that's an image of something. So truly something has to be there. And then I remember after there was this big craze that you could see what they called an aura at the time, very new agey. Um, the, all these articles started to come up on what a bunch of new agey nonsense, Carilion photography was and everything to defame it to the point where as a young person, I was influenced by what they said later thinking, okay, so I was fooled. It's all nonsense. But then when you get back around, um, and I haven't looked at it for a long time, uh, any legitimate photography of any kind is picking something up, right? Unless it's wholly fake from the beginning. But you can see what's gone on in the mainstream. The ideas that we're talking about here, I think, for the average person, are very difficult to consider. Um, But at the same time, I got enough emails from people uh, who were not way out in left field, um, you know, still live in the hippie era. Uh, talking about the biofield and how far. And so if I followed you correctly, there's an initial biofield from your point of view that's at five to six feet, something like that. Then the second biofield, 25, 30-ish feet, and that you've laid down It may extend Beyond that, to Lord knows, and if I followed you correctly, if we think about how people get their ancestry, why are your eyes green? And you did it correctly. I'm half and half too, so I could track back. You know, then you go to a half, then you go to a fourth, and it it quickly diminishes. So I'm guessing you would have to be a very sensitive person to track back much further than maybe a grandparent or a great-grandparent. But did I get all that right, or is that the contention? Initial biofield uh five six feet then maybe what could be called a second biofield at 25 to 30 and then likely more beyond that
2: that's what i have found and of the first two and that's what i have heard that it uh can theory or i can't say that word theoretically extend to infinity and if so then that would explain for a lot of communication because our biofields would all be overlapping with each other, so they would all be in communication. You know, with people that we're in contact with on a regular basis, and, as well as relatives and things, communicating through the light waves within our biofields. But um, it can also work by intention because that's what I'm guessing that if if I was just to let it happen and let the um, biofield, say, of a given client or myself, if I'm doing a self-tuning, let the biofield pull up what it wanted to release that day of an ancestral um, memory, if that's what it wanted to release, then I'm guessing that perhaps a great-great-grandparent, maybe one more generation, maybe all, but I don't know that for sure. It might be more, but because the ether um, holds a record, I can hold the intention in a session and i could say i am clearing this my clients biofield of dissonant emotion from such and such an and such and such a grandparent and name their name and um have that be what i find in the field and i i have Ask for specific ones and have it happen, but I haven't asked for specific ones back past the great-great-grandparent. So I don't know. I'm still, I'm very much learning. I find this fascinating. And as I do my biofield work, especially I do trial things on myself to find out, okay, well, what will happen if I do this or what will happen if I do that to find out the, the limitations or the you know, benefits of it. But I do it through my own biofield or through a client's biofield because I know they can be found, that information found in the biofield, but also it's a tremendous uh, benefit to people now living to myself or to the clients because it's just amazing how much the ancestral emotions affects your, not just your skin color and eye color, but it's like It affects your whole mindset, your emotions. Like I went through most of my life, fear was a big issue, fear of a lot of things, Um, not like being scared of a lion or scared of a dog or stuff like that, but fear of getting in trouble or fear of people finding out a secret or fear that I did something wrong, things like that. And um, uh, another big thing was unworthiness. And when I first started learning about the biofield and stuff, I knew, I call it a a birth story, things that were happening in my parents' lives um, when I was conceived. And I realized how that affected my emotions because um, I was an unexpected pregnancy, right? They wanted more children, but at the time they weren't ready for another pregnancy. And being a mother myself, when I had um, my children, it was like, "Oh, I can really understand why you felt this way. <laughs> but but, as a fetus developing and existing in the mother's womb, the vibrations or the frequency of not wanting that was what gave my um, mindset. Of feeling unworthy, because if I'm not wanted, it can't be my parents' fault. It, it has to be my fault. Something's wrong with me. Or I'm. if that's how they feel, then I'm afraid that I'll be rejected at any time, something like that. And of course, I was always very much loved during my life. I was well taken care of. I had close relationships with my parents. But it's the mindset that sticks as a child, the developing mindset between like, conception and around seven years of age um, when you perceive things differently because you don't have any background to compare things to and um, but when I started um, learning more about the biofield I realized that wow no matter where around my biofield the edge the membrane wherever I hit around the edge of my membrane it had terrible dissonance everywhere and it was hard as it was really hard to dissolve some of the dissonance and then the very next time it would be right back there it seems like so there there was tons and tons and tons and tons of uh, dissonance at the membrane and so in kind of consultation with um, uh, someone I was working with it was like well maybe it's ancestors you know maybe your ancestors still had Uh, the mindset of unworthiness or the mindset of fear or the, the mindset of lack, you know, of the bottom side of the hierarchy instead of um, a voluntarist mindset. And I, that's what started me on my um, path to um, clear this ancestral dissonance because it affected me so greatly. And so um as i clear not uh, my biofield of the all this dissonance i clear up the stuckness or the stuck energy the dissonance of of their energy and it's like i'm a different person now because i can change i can with positive intentions and positive mindset and positive input I can now make these big changes in a short amount of time, whereas the rest of my life, I'd work and work and work personally on issues, and I always fall back on fear, and I'm not good enough, fear, and I'm not good enough, I don't deserve anymore, stuff like that, and and it's different now, it's, life is really good, because I don't have that junk, that baggage that I've carried with me all the time, it just kind of disappears, so your biofield holds, continues to hold the memories there. There's always a record, but the, it's like the oomph is gone. When you clear the dissonance, it's like you you know what emotion you felt, but you don't feel that emotion anymore.
0: You know, it's interesting. And I know um, as time goes on and more people get interested in this, more and more will likely be known. But even in the spiritual traditions, there's kind of ideas From more than one place that I can think of off the top of my head using the Bible. I remember when I was young, going to Sunday school, and the stories where the father does something wrong and, you know, the assertion is made, this many generations is going to pay the price for what just happened here. Or even the idea of original sin. And and when I was young, I used to think, well, that makes no sense at all. How come all these, you know, but it it is kind of a similar idea. But on a modern note, you know, you got to wonder. It, it this distancing thing that we're all doing so if the first biofields in the neighborhood of six feet and people have been for the most part or in a much higher percentage held apart what has that done is it truly separated us on some kind of not well-known level um you gotta wonder uh, these things don't don't get chosen at random i would i would estimate um but let's let's see how much time do we have here um we got a little bit of time left and I want to get into the actual frequencies. Um, and I haven't had time to look these up. I was under the impression the Schumann resonance was a very low frequency, but let's, let's get into this. Um, one of the, One of the assertions you make here is to locate dissonant energy. You're using a 174 cycle, what we call Hertz, unweighted tuning fork, um, which you say here is related to Schumann and Solfeggio. Um, I haven't looked at either of these things. Uh, And if that is correct, then they would obviously be connected to Earth and nature. Um, And also, you make a point to point out that when you're doing this, you use an unweighted fork. I think Jason and I both got weighted forks, but I think we can take the weight off. Um, can you address that? How did you arrive at 174 hertz? And is that you're you're basically hearing the dissonant tone? Is that it?
2: Yeah, I use the 174 because for me it, it seems to be really easy to hear the difference in the tones. It has a nice, bright, clear tone when um, when you strike it um, in general, and. So then when you come across the dissonance, then it's it's fairly easy to hear when it's uh, muted or dissonant or high-pitched or squeaky or, you know, there's all different nuances um, because every emotion has its own frequency. So they would make the fork sound differently. So that's uh, why the 174 is used as a tone? Now you can. I have uh, often used a weighted fork in the field. I use uh, 144 hertz in the Fibonacci um, to just. And it doesn't have. It doesn't make a sound. It's a vibration. When I'm using it, I. Th- I feel it more in my body instead of with my ears. Of course, I couldn't hear a tone from it, but um, the vibration changes with things um, slightly. I, I rely more on the, my sensi- the sensitivity of my nervous system to feel the emotion at that point um, with that. But so... But when I get to the using the 174 and the tone changes, that's easy to hear and the vibration changes and you can feel that. But if you get to a, a really heavy or larger um, place where the disson, dissonant energy is found, then I usually use the Fibonacci fork, sometimes two of them together to um, help dissolve that energy quicker than 174 would. Um, Again, each each, um, emotion uh, would have a different frequency. And just so each um, stuck area you find might um, release better with one fork or another. So if one doesn't uh, work easily or quickly, then you try something different. Um, Some people use a crystal in conjunction with a fork, or various types of crystals, um, things like that. There's different ways you can move the fork in the field that that seems like the, the sound or the fork or the field like it or respond better, something
0: like that. So when I got my fork and I immediately began using it, I have a weighted fork. And just so people know, um, the fork that we got from Eileen, there's like this little showerhead looking thing that goes on the tail. Or the end you you hold. It's
1: called the circuit boot.
0: The circuit boot. So then the two like little forks that actually do the ringing, there's these little weights at the top, which I assume are there to you know make it ring longer. But I gotta I gotta ask, Carla, um, when I first started doing it, I thought, oh, you just hit it not very hard and then I noticed, well, I wish it would ring longer. So I started making it ting together. And I noticed when I made it ting together, it resonated longer um, and I could hear it more readily because the high-pitched ting that was introduced. And I also remember you said you used a hockey puck. So I'm wondering, when you hit them together, do you actually ting them together or not?
2: No. If you're tinging them together, um, you're probably going to um, get like a, a double vibration or, you know, a second shadow vibration. I'd, I don't know the scientific terms, but it wouldn't be the clear tone than if you struck it softer or not hard enough to clang them together. So it's um, hitting them isn't so much a, or activating it on a, a hockey puck or my hiking boot or whatever isn't isn't so much about hitting them hard. It's it's hitting them, but concentrating on the release or the spring back afterwards.
0: I, I know what you mean. It's like you're trying to get a good, even um, activation. So, I mean, on on average, if you're using, say you were using a weighted 174, how many seconds do you think before you reactivate it by hitting it on the puck or the boot, if you just had to guess?
2: Well, it it kind of depends on what your purpose is. If you're um, using it within the biofield and moving from uh, birth into the field and just stopping at stuck energies, you want to keep the the tone of the fork a little louder so that it um, is heard more in the biofield or so that the vibration is felt um, more. And so uh, you would have less um, time between them. um, so when the tone would start to get quiet, then you could quiet the the tines. If you're using a non-weighted fork, you would rest the tines on your arm to quiet them before you struck again, and then moved in. So so that's a less amount of time for activating the fork. If you're using a weighted fork, you don't have to quiet the tines in between. You can let it keep running as you restrike it on your palm. But again. Say like if you're using it to allow flow out of the chakra systems, um, centers, things like that, then you let it die out to to let the biofield go from strong to quiet to kind of have a natural progression and 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 into that phase. And so um, it's different things for for different processes that you're doing.
0: So we're coming to the end of the first hour. Um, and you know, people follow me. No, I want to know, I, I want to hear, I want to be able to assess this. Most of what, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the biofield, but a lot of the things you've laid down here about ancestry and these other ideas is new to me. Um, and I want to hear it and I want to be able to assess it. So let me lay down, um, kind of what I've worked out based on some of the things we've touched on uh, before we close down the first hour. And you tell me if I'm thinking about it in the way you meant to convey it. First of all, the energies could be described as a toroid. So what that basically means is to to most people, an elongated 3D donut where there's this constant flow of energy. Um, So you could almost view one energy channel at, say, six feet as almost like a river or a ring of energy or however you wanted to describe it. So it's the idea here that the tuning fork interacts with that flow of energy. And if you detected something anomalous like dissonant harmony or dissonant ringing, or vibration, I guess would be a better word, is the idea that you hold the tuning fork in that stream of energy until it resonates with the fork?
2: Well, you would You would need, depending on the energy that you're working with, and and if it resolves quickly, you would need to, like if it's a, a big stuck area, you'd need to strike the fork several times in the same spot. Like, Uh, Strike it and let it ring, let the tone sound for a while, strike it and let it tone until when you strike it and put it back, then the tone is correct and clear and bright again. But yes, you hold it in the field. Now, different forks seem to like different movements. So like some of them, you can move it slowly up and down along the side of that um, dissonant energy. Um, because I found it seems like those stuck areas, some, some of them are right in one spot and some of them seem to envelop uh, quite a larger spread of area in front of your body as you're standing there um, working on it. Um, but yes, you would repeatedly strike the fork and let, let the tone sound until the sound was clear again.
0: Okay. I think we're coming close to the top of the hour, Carla. Can you give people one more um, shot at your website information? Sure.
2: It's ancestralriver.com. A-N-C-E-S-T-R-A-L river.com.
0: So I think a lot, you know, when we first did the Eileen episode, there were so many people who got interested, wanted to get the forks, got to to, uh, try it out. And all the emails told me, hey, man, there's this other biofield thing. It's kind of like the Akashic record. And I said, I'm interested. I want to hear it. I wonder how many people will think this is a bridge too far. Woo woo. How many will honestly assess it? But what I notice is a lot of parallels to very old traditions, maybe some of the oldest traditions. I could kind of see parallels at the limited amount of knowing I know at this point. But Jason, I think we're there. Anything you want to get in before we close down hour one?
1: One hour or 2 I'd like to get into the biofield itself a little more. I'm kind of curious with the layering, if there's a consistency to it, if you find the same things in the same places, are the sizes similar between people or what differences are there and possibly why.
0: Okay, um that does bring the first hour of episode 236 with Jason and Carla who is a biofield practitioner to a close. In hour 2, we're going to talk about locating distant energy. I mean, it's so so broad, I didn't even get a fraction into the bullet points that were provided here. And the idea of ancestry is is this maybe part of how the Akashic record is described? I've said endlessly that I accept all day long that every possibility that can be worked out in this 3D reality will in fact be recorded and information does not get lost in this system. Are we looking at facets of that? But well, we hope you'll join us on the other side at crow77radio.com. That is the only true crow site, it is CRR. O W seven, seven, seven radio.com. There are a number of fraud sites at this point. Uh, feels like this is one we can probably run on YouTube, although I'm not sure because the one we ran with Eileen was actually tagged as dangerous. And when I looked for a way to submit, to say, Hey man, tuning forks, aren't dangerous dangerous, unless you poke someone in the eye, there was no way for me even to rebut the tag of dangerous that was put on the tuning fork episode. So we will see, but I will attempt to run this. Join us at crow7radio.com for hour two of episode two thirty six about the extended biofield. There it is, man. Cheers.